If you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 24. This is God's Word. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Is, is that a phenomenal story? I mean, is that just absolutely amazing? How many of you have ever been fishing? Okay. How many of you have ever been fishing, thrown the line out, nothing bites, go again, nothing bites, you try a little different angle, nothing bites, you keep trying and keep trying and finally you just realize, I guess the fish aren't biting right now. Anybody here ever had that experience? Yeah. Well, Peter knew what it was to fish all night and catch nothing. And that was using nets, not a line. So the idea that he's going to go to the waterfront, throw out his line, and quickly catch a fish, that's, I mean, God can do that, obviously. But, um, You don't feel inside like this is a real likely thing to always happen right away. What about the chances that when you do throw out your line and you do catch a fish, out of all the fish there, the one you catch, the first one, Not one of the fish you catch. If you keep at it, you'll eventually find one with a coin in its mouth. The first fish caught by Peter has a coin in its mouth. Wow. How many of you have ever been fishing and caught a fish that had a coin in its mouth? No? Me either. Okay. Um, What about the chances that the first fish you catch will not only have a coin in its mouth, but it's going to have a specific denomination of coin. Okay? It's going to be a four drachma coin. The tax was two drachma. But Jesus was feeling generous. We're going to have a four drachma coin in the mouth of that fish that you catch, Peter, and that'll cover your tax and mine. 
Just consider the probability of this happening. Now, when various dodos are trying to explain the scriptures, they often try and come up with some sort of scientific explanation for the parting of the Red Sea or, uh, you know, whatever. We, we, have to, we have to try manna, for instance, or what, what you know. There, there's, there's got to be some sort of scientific explanation. That is a fool's errand. Okay? There are too many miracles. And the whole purpose of the miracle story is that they're miracles. They're not put in here because, well, these are the sorts of things that happen, you know, just routinely. If you live in the Middle East, uh, it happen, happens a lot. We, we see these kinds of things. No, no, we don't. When things like this happen, God is speaking. God is sending a message. I've heard people who pose as evangelicals trying to suggest that we don't really need to believe in the virgin birth because that's just, you know, that, that, was, that was a story that grew up within the history of the church in order to try and encourage people to believe that Jesus was really special, which we know he is. But, you know, the idea of a virgin birth, I mean, that, that just, that isn't, that isn't how it works. Well, that's the whole point of the story. I've heard, I've heard people with doctorates say, in earlier times, a more primitive people could accept such notions. No. No, they couldn't. Joseph couldn't accept such a notion. The point of the story is, it's a miracle. Got that? Well, likewise... A four-drachma coin being in the mouth of the first fish Peter catches is a miracle. That's the point. That's the point. Don't be ashamed of the miraculous. Because God is the one who makes it so. This is his word, and his word tells us that throughout history, God has intervened many times in various ways in order to accomplish his purpose. Now, if I told you that I, Jim Wood, have certain powers, okay, and um, nothing up my sleeve, watch this, you can bet that that's not a miracle. I've seen some amazing sleight of hand. How many of you have, have seen either on TV or live performance? Okay, just amazing. Um, how do they do that? And one of the things I've appreciated over the years about Penn and Teller, who don't know the Lord, and who delight in exposing frauds who claim to have miraculous powers. One of the things I delight in about Penn and Teller is that they, from time to time, just for the fun of it, in order to help people understand that this is not magic, this is illusion. They will show you how they do some of their tricks. They did a whole TV special probably about 100 years ago, um, a long time ago, okay? They did this TV special 
in which they did one trick after another. And I mean, you watch it and you're like, wow. And then they show you immediately how they did it. And it's like, oh, wow. They totally fooled me. And then, they're, then they do another one, great seriousness. And then they show you how they did it. And one after another, after another, after another. And of course, magicians are not supposed to give away their tricks. It kind of spoils it for everybody else because they want to be able to wow people. And Penn and Teller want to wow you, but they want to wow you while not fooling you into thinking that there's something supernatural going on. Do you remember Moses in Pharaoh's court? God had told him before he got there that one of the things he could do in order to demonstrate God's power was to throw down his staff and it would turn into a serpent. Oh, that's spooky. Wouldn't that be frightening? Scared Moses. When he was out there by the burning bush and God told him to throw down his staff and it turned into a serpent, Moses said, that is so cool. No, Moses was really frightened. And God then told him to pick it up. That was frightening. But Moses picked it up. And when he obeyed God and picked it up, it turned back into his staff. Okay, that's, that's really great. I've never seen anything like that before. So he goes to Pharaoh's court, and in order to demonstrate the power of God, he throws down his staff, and it turns into a serpent. And everybody's like, oh. And then Pharaoh's magicians, who were involved with the demonic, said, well, we can do that too. And they threw down theirs, and theirs turned into serpents. Now we got a room full of snakes. And Moses' display is not looking so good right now. But then, do you remember what happened next? The serpent that Moses' staff had turned into ate the other serpents. So these other guys didn't get to pick theirs back up and have them back. They're, they're gone. That kind of demonstrated a certain power that was greater on the part of Moses and the God he represents. Amen? And when the first plagues started, the other magicians were like, well, we can do that too. Which, of course, was not a lot of help. If the problem is, Something has just gone bad because God is showing his wrath. And the other guys say, we can make things go bad too. Okay, they couldn't fix the problem, but they could multiply it. That's what the enemy can do. All right? Is there such a thing beyond delusion? Is there such a thing as supernatural stuff? that is not of God. Absolutely, and that's why I'm talking about this. There will come a day in the last times, you read about it in the book of Revelation, where a lot of people are going to be deluded because the Antichrist 
is going to be able to wow them with miraculous signs. There will be miracles happening in the last times. And those who don't know and love the Lord are going to see that and they'll say, wow, who can deny this is real? And it will be real. And it will be real evil. And we need to know that. Because just because something is miraculous doesn't mean that it honors God. The question is, who gets the glory? Is this the fulfillment of God's promise? Or is this something that exalts man? If you look at the probability of the four drachma coin in the mouth of the fish, which is the first fish that Peter pulls out of the water when he goes, uh, throws his line in. You realize, okay, that's, that's not something that is very likely to occur. I mean, do you think Jesus, knowing this conversation was going to take place, had gotten a bunch of four drachma coins and put them in the mouths of fish and put them in the water and then said, hopefully he'll catch one of those? You think? No, he doesn't need to do that. Why? Because he's God. Jesus over and over revealed the fact that God had come to live among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but to as many as believed on him, received him. He gave the power to become children of God. Now, One of the things that is remarkable to me about this is not just the fact that Jesus did a miracle. Uh, He did a lot of them. The first one, remember, was turning water into wine. Absolutely amazing. And most people didn't even know it had happened. The servants knew. The host of the party didn't know. But the disciples knew. Well, this particular miracle, to me, it's not just the the fact that the fish has the coin in its mouth. But Jesus was making it possible for Peter to pay what wasn't really owed to an organization that had really betrayed its purpose. This was the temple tax. This was not a Roman tax. This was the temple tax. And God had ordained the temple tax in order to sustain the worship of God at the temple. Well, so why is that not a good thing? Because they weren't worshiping God at the temple. They turned it into a business. The people who were running the business were hostile toward God when he showed up in person. Jesus had come as God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And when God shows up at his house, he's treated terribly. In fact, Jesus knows, and he's already been telling his disciples, 
Those people want him dead, and they're going to have their way. He's going to be killed by the people who run the temple. You want to give them money? (laughs) Really? Well, don't we owe it? Jesus asked Peter a question. Jesus was the first one to speak when Peter came in the house. Jesus asked him a question, and that is, do the kings of the earth collect taxes from their sons or from others? Peter says, from from others. Jesus says, so the sons are exempt. Now, what's he talking about? What what does this have to do with anything? Because Jesus is the son of God. He is the eternal Son of God, begotten, not made. He has always been. So, not only did they not recognize who Jesus was, but Jesus didn't make a protest about not giving them money. I will not support that corrupt organization. In fact, Jesus watched as people were putting money into the treasury, and he saw the widow who put in all she had. And Jesus didn't run up and stop her and say, wait, 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 don't do that. I know that's all you have, and listen, this temple is now in the hands of corrupt people who don't love God. And what's going on here is hypocrisy, not true worship. Jesus didn't say that. Because Jesus knew that her desire was to give this, all that she had, to God. Many, many years ago, when Ruth and Billy Graham were young and starting in ministry and didn't have much money. The offering plate went by at church, and Billy reached into his billfold and intending to give, I don't remember if it was five or 20, put a $50 bill in the plate, and then nearly had a heart attack because <laughs> he didn't mean to do it. And, you know, at first he was like, you know, I, I need to fix that, and then it was like, well, the plate's going on down and it's too late and it's gone. So he said to Ruth afterwards, well, God will bless us for having given that. And she said, no, he won't, because you didn't mean to. (laughs) You see, God isn't looking at how much money goes in, he's looking at our hearts. The lady who gave the, the widow's might, Jesus said she gave more than everybody else, because they gave out of their abundance. She gave everything she had. Well, I don't think people ought to be trying to get money from widows, especially not the last little bit of money they've got. You know what I think? God will deal with fraudulent ministries just as he has promised. And we need to be concerned not about what that person's giving, but about what we're giving. And why we're giving. So, Jesus didn't say, Peter, we're not going to give because I'm the son of God. (laughs) I don't owe that money. If you want to give, you go right ahead. But you're with me. And if you want to be exempt, 
we can handle that. He didn't say that. He said, you know, we don't really owe this. The sons are exempt. However, so that we don't offend them, and Jesus had offended them on many other occasions in many other ways, but he says, but so that we don't offend them, go cast a line in the water, and first fish you catch is going to have the tax for you and me in its mouth. Pay it. I love Jesus' attitude. Apparently, he is not worried about money. You understand? He's not. Jesus met that need, and he took care of the wine at the wedding. And he healed people who would later die, but meanwhile, they not only enjoyed health, but they provided a picture of the fact that ultimately God's going to make all things new. God still meets our needs today. I recently, in chapel, told the story about the miraculous provision of the food when I was a little kid in Charlotte, North Carolina. True story. I don't make stuff up. Or if I'm telling a joke, I let you know it was a joke. But that's a true story, okay? Um, When we lived, my wife and I in Cape Cod, and I pastored a church there, um, there were many, many times that God provided for us supernaturally because we just didn't have... I mean, there was, there was one month when the, the place we were renting, um, the temperature was so cold and the house was not built to be a year-round house. It was kind of a three-season house. Well, in February of one year, our rent was $500 a month. Our fuel bill was like $565 that month. We were running the furnace constantly, and the temperature in the house never got above 60 degrees. The whole month. You understand? You're going to love it down on Old Cape Cod. (laughs) I mean, we were freezing. We had three little boys. We're trying to keep them warm, trying to keep ourselves warm. And it's not like, well, boy, it's freezing in the house. Let's just go outside. No, it was really freezing outside. So what do you do when the fuel bill is more than your rent and you still can't keep warm? You pray for a change in the weather. And in March, fuel was still expensive but we were able to get things up to room temperature. <laughs> and what about the finances? God took care of us. One time, we found in the midst of our financial focus that uh, we were going to be $1,000 short. This had happened, this had happened. Our son had a lot of medical expenses, and there was just all this stuff and we are going to be $1,000 short. We saw, you know, the bill hadn't come yet, but we knew it was coming, and we knew this is how much money we got, this is how much we're going to owe, we're going to be $1,000 short. And so Susan and I prayed, and we said, Lord, please, we know that you've promised to meet our needs. This is a real need. We need another $1,000. Don't know where to get it. Would you please provide it? We got a letter in the mail from somebody we had met 
couple of years earlier, lived in Memphis, Tennessee. They wrote to us. It's the first time they'd written to us since we'd met them. They wrote to us and they said, um, my wife and I were praying this morning and both of us felt very strongly that the Lord was saying to send you $1,000. But since he told both of us when we were each having our own devotion separately, we weren't sure if you needed 1000 or if you needed 2000 So here's $2,000. We thought, wow, that's fantastic. And it turned out we were wrong about how much we were going to owe. We actually owed two. You understand, we prayed for $1,000 because we're trying to be responsible and we thought that's what we need and we're going to turn our need over to God. God, please, we're going to need $1,000. Please send us $1,000. And God said, actually, you're going to need two. I'll go ahead and send that. We're not dealing with the lottery here. We're dealing with our living God. He's real and he loves us. Don't worry about money. Just focus on doing his will. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything you need will be added to you. Pastor Wood, are you saying that you do magic? No, I didn't didn't even pray for the right amount. This is about God doing stuff, not me. The way we got one of the houses that we got on Cape Cod to, to rent was a miracle. We were looking for a three-bedroom house on one level. They don't have those on Cape Cod. Everything is built like this, okay? It's even called a Cape Cod house. I mean, you can get them in Atlanta or almost anywhere, and they're called, that's a Cape Cod. It's a style of architecture. They also have salt box houses, also built like this. So the idea that we're going to get something where three bedrooms all on one floor, because our oldest child is paraplegic, and his two younger brothers shouldn't be having to go up and down stairs at an age when they're learning to walk. You understand? So we're like, Lord, we need three bedrooms all on one floor so we can have the master and the two kids' rooms, please, if you would do that. I contacted literally every realtor in four towns. Every realtor in four towns. And I said, this is what we're looking for. Please, we really need it. Please find a place for us to rent. They showed us, oh, probably a dozen houses, none of which were three bedrooms on one floor. They were all, you know, one bedroom down, other bedrooms up, or two bedrooms down, one bedroom up. I mean, nobody had what we wanted. And I would say, remember I told you what we need? Not happening. Well, the deadline was looming for us to move out of the place we were in. And we didn't have any place to move. And my wife said, Jim, I need to share with you. I had a dream last night. And she said, I'm not saying that I saw the house we're going to live in, but she said, I was very concerned, as you know, about the fact that we need a place and we haven't found anything. And she said, 
It was, it was really strange. It was a very vivid dream. She said, I was walking through this older home, and it was three bedrooms on one level, but it was a strange floor plan. And you did have to go down a couple of steps into one of the bedrooms. And she said, um, as I was walking through it in my dream, I just felt this tremendous peace that God has a place for us. So I'm not saying that the house I saw in my dream is, is the house we're going to get. I'm just saying, I feel like God has spoken to me that he has a place for us. And she said, the weirdest part about it was it had an ocean view. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. I'm glad God gave you peace about that. Probably an hour later, I got a telephone call from a realtor. She said, Reverend Wood, um, I, I believe I've found your house. She said, it's an older home. And she said, it's long and narrow, but it's three bedrooms all on one floor, though it is a weird floor plan. You have to go down a couple of steps into one of the rooms. She used the same phrases to describe the house that my wife had used to describe the house. And she said, I have to verify that they're willing to rent it to you, but she said, I, I think they will. And she said, I'll take you over to take a look at it. You know what she didn't mention? The one thing my wife had said about the house that the realtor didn't mention is my wife had said you could see the ocean. Now, let me tell you something about real estate on Cape Cod to this day. If in the dead of winter, when all the leaves are off the trees, you can climb up on the roof and see a puddle, they call it a water view and they raise the price. Okay? And this place was an ocean view. And the realtor hadn't even mentioned that. That's like breaking all the rules in real estate sales. When we got there, my wife just started to cry. She said, this is the house in my dream. And let me tell you, my wife doesn't cry. But she was so moved by the fact that God had not only provided the house, but that God had provided her with peace through his promise. I have something for you. Let me just tell you, God is faithful. And he puts us in situations where we don't have what we need so that he can demonstrate that he does. He has what we need, whatever we need. And he promises, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Oh, I'm with you always. I don't know what you need today. It may not be money. It may be peace. It may be encouragement. It may be joy. It may just be that you need to know more deeply what you already know. And that is that he loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. And Jesus not only paid our debt, but he conquered death. He's alive right now. And you can trust him with everything. Don't be afraid. God still meets our needs. I could tell you story after story all day long 
about miraculous provisions that God has given. This land, the people to do this ministry, the finances to run this ministry. We've never borrowed a penny from anybody. We've never taken a penny of government funding. And less than 5% of the income of this ministry comes from the families of the kids. So where does it come from? It comes from my father and yours if you're my brother or my sister. That's where it comes from. God cares about you. He cares about the students here. He cares about the staff. And he provides miraculously over and over and over again. Just like he promised. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful, that you are generous, and that you love to remind us through your kindness that we are yours. Help us this day, we pray, to do what you have told us to do, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that everything else we need will be given to us as well. We will be careful to give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have anybody reciting?